Welcome to Dead Pilot Society, the show that takes comedy pilots from A-list writers that were sold and developed at networks and streamers but never produced and gives them the table reads they never got a chance to have. I am Andrew Reich, the creator and host of Dead Pilot Society. We have got a rare live show coming up this Sunday, January 21st. It's going to be a good one. It's at the Elysian Theater in Los Angeles at 3 o'clock. There's going to be readings of two scripts. Principal by Open Mike Eagle and Mike Benner, and You're Only Young Twice by Tommy Jonigan. They're a great cast, two really, really funny scripts, very different, but both really funny. Uh, tickets are still available. Go to elysiantheater.com for tickets. That's theater with an er, not a re. It's this Sunday. Don't miss out. Uh, our dead pilot this month is localized by Alex Burnett and Brendan McCarthy, based on the book Island Practice by Pam Bellick. Alex and Brendan uh, both wrote on Grace and Frankie for many seasons. Great guys. I'm very psyched to have have met. This pilot is about a truly incredible real-life character. Uh, He's the only full-time doctor on the island of Nantucket. Uh, And Pam Bellick, who's a New York Times reporter, uh, wrote this book all about him. I could be lazy and say this show sort of in the vein of Northern Exposure, but it, it really has its own unique tone just great characters a super specific very well-drawn setting this is not the nantucket you think you know it's just a it's just a wonderfully weird show and our cast just killer cast as always in the lead adam arkin from i don't know chicago hope sons of anarchy everything Toby Gray from Station 19, Serena Fialo from Brooklyn Nine-Nine and Community. She's also in the band Girls, uh, I guess The Girls, with Allison Brie and Juliana Gwill. Uh, from The Bold Type and Vampire Diaries, we had Emily Chang. From The Tick and Suits, my friend Brendan Hines. From Lace, Lizzie Pete. She's now, I think we call Lizzie now a Dead Pilot Society regular. Another Dead Pilot Society regular. Uh, my friend John Ross Bowie from Speechless, author of the great memoir, No Job for a Man. From the boys, Roswell, Revenge, another returning uh, Dead Pilot Society actor, Nick Wexler. And yet another returning actor from Grace and Frankie, Baron Vaughn. And a true Dead Pilot Society regular, Mr. Hal Lublin. What a great cast. If you want to see all these folks... In their little squares on Zoom, just become a Max Fund member for as little as $5 a month. You'll get access to the video from this, all of our bonus content, all of the video from all the years, the many, many years of Dead Pilot Society. Just go to MaximumFun.org slash join. All right. Enjoy Localized after a brief message. Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Alex Burnett and Brendan McCarthy, welcome to Dead Pilot Society. 
Thank you so much for having us. This is really a thrill. Could you tell everyone a little bit about the pilot we're about to hear? So the pilot is based on um, a really wonderful New York Times bestseller, Island Practice, which um, I think she's now, she's a journalist at the New York Times. She covers all of health and COVID. She, Pam Bellick. Pam Bellick. She followed um, the only doctor that lives on Nantucket Island, which and he's a very fascinating, ridiculous creature. Because uh, he doesn't really function for the wealthy that visit on the island. He, he functions for the people that live there who have a have a um a very different experience than the people that summer there and so he's pretty much become one with the island i mean beyond being the only doctor he's the obstetrician he's the football coach he's head of the morgue he's <laughs> amateur detective i mean he's a lot uh for this town of nine thousand, uh and he doesn't follow rules and for example people would like to replace him because he's somewhat problematic from a from a corporate culture standpoint uh every time he takes a day off they need to bring in five doctors to replace him because he's so good uh and they've for years been trying to find this is real life trying to find who will replace him it, they can't find anyone and so the question is what will happen when this man finally kills himself no and, that, <laughs> and that's kind of and that's where our pilot starts and we um we convinced Pam, who's just so wonderful. We can't say enough good things about Pam. We convinced her to give us the book for free um, and, and failed her, of course. <laughs> um, and um, within pretty short order, we signed on uh, Mitch Hurwitz, um, obviously one of our comedy heroes. Um, and he kind of shepherded it and um, yeah, yeah, learned so much. We sold it to HBO Max and it died in unceremonious death. Yeah. And that's that's why we're here. Yeah. Uh, but we we get to hear it right out loud. So thank you for for letting us do this read. And we'll you know, thank we'll, you. Uh, you're welcome. We'll talk more later. Let's do this. This is localized. The pilot, the man from Nantucket, written by Alex Burnett and Brendan McCarthy, based on the book Island Practice. We're in a beautiful drone shot of Nantucket Island showing its famous crescent shape. We sail over antique sailboats in the harbor, a quaint lighthouse, a colonial church steeple, etc. We continue to fly past the pretty beachside mansions into the woods. The first beams of morning light shine through the trees. We're tight on a small marshy pond. Slowly, a la Apocalypse Now, the head of a man in his 60s silently rises from the water. He's, he's clad in a ghillie suit. His eyes narrow as he sees something, a deer peacefully munching berries mere yards away. He brings up a tranquilizer gun from the water and levels it at the deer. Good night, sweet prince. Just before he can shoot, an 11-year-old boy's head rises from the water fast. He's similarly clad. He coughs and wheezes loudly, breaking the silence and spooking the deer. The man winces. We now see that this is Tim Lepore, the brilliant, irascible, iconoclastic, 60-something real doctor at the center of our story. The boy next to him is Dr. Boy, real name Willie, not a real doctor. The sputtering subsides and then... I swallowed some pond water. How much? Just a little bit on purpose, then a bunch on accident. Sorry, Dr. Lepore. The man helps the child out of the pond. His beeper goes off. 
Oh, just as well. Paige from Morgan were needed at the lunch counter. Ready to practice some medicine, Dr. Boy? Well, I mean, there's still probably some stuff I don't know. Well, that's what we call humility, and getting rid of that is half the battle. We're at the Nantucket Pharmacy lunch counter. It's a quaint lunch counter with a pharmacy window at the back. Locals eat breakfast. Morgan, in her 30s, a townie, works the counter. The order-up bell dings. She grabs a plate and a pill bottle from the pass. Crab scramble and bonazapril, five milligrams. She slides them down the counter to an old woman. You need a consult with the pharmacist, hon? No, I know my way around a crab scramble. Just then, the front door entry bell dings, drawing her attention to the man and boy from the woods who now wear matching lab coats, khaki slacks, and stethoscopes. Lepore carries his bag along with the long case containing his trank gun. Hey, Dr. Lepore, Dr. Boy, how's your morning? So-so. We tried to shoot Clarence with a trank dart, but he got away. Yeah, that happened to me with that weekender Brad who snuck out when he thought I was in the shower. I caught him in the back of the thigh, but they'd already pulled away from the dock, so if anything, I probably just made it easier for him to sleep on the ferry. Clarence is a dear. That's what I thought about Brad. But I find even with the unmarried ones, you always want to let the water run for a minute while you watch them through a crack in the door. I wish your son would come by. Fleming? He hasn't gotten off the couch in the two weeks he's been here. Probably a little down since the divorce and how his life exploded. Hasn't heard from her since she left. He's constantly checking his emails. Hey, maybe I'll shoot one over at him. She looks at the tranquilizer gun case. Of course, that won't help him get off the couch. Hey, maybe I'll email him. Lepore picks up the trank gun case and hands it to Dr. Boy over the following. Why don't you tell us why you called us here, kiddo? Oh, duh. Sorry. <laughs> Something's really off with Alistair today. She indicates a man, Alistair, in his 40s, fancy, sitting in a booth eating pancakes, being recorded by a cameraman and a boom operator. His mouth full, he attempts to straighten his shirt, knocking over a light stand in the process. Mm, you're too close, and you're conspiring to make me look fat. Leave me be. I'll do it my... <laughs> Alistair tries to fix the light stand, but it falls again. We angle on the poor Dr. Boy and Morgan. He came in to tape a food review for his access show, and now he seems really drunk. And you're, you're sure he isn't drinking? We don't have cream sherry. Lepore turns to Dr. Boy, indicating the trank gun. Keep that handy. They approach a woozy Alistair. Hey, buddy. Heard you're having a little trouble over here. Mm, someone's talking about me? He hiccups, then stuffs more pancakes into his mouth. Seems drunk to me. Whoa. So much for your little genius boy doctor's analysis. This, I haven't had a drink since, uh, well, it was on air during my Nantucket Live New Year's Eve extravaganza after I finally persuaded His Majesty Brian Kilsack to bump his precious weather tracker for just one night of the year. So January 5th. And night of the 4th, morning of the 5th, yes. And all you've had this morning are the pancakes. It's for my review. She's adding cranberries now. A less than modest flex! Lepore pulls instruments from his bag and examines Alistair. Dr. Boy's mouth is full of pancakes. I think the cranberries lend it a nice citrus note. Philistine. Okay, well, Alistair, given your history of Crohn's disease, I think we're looking at a case of auto-brewery syndrome. Carbo carbohydrate fermentation in your gut quite literally makes you drunk from the inside. 
No, dear. Do you think Morgan noticed? Have I finally ruined my chances with her? Oh, don't be silly. I'm sure they're just as bad as they were yesterday. Now, have you been taking the red wine extract and the bromelain I made you for the Crohn's? You mean your untested homemade slurry? Yes, it's it's done wonders. Although don't tell my mother or she'll want you to charge me for it. Lepore's phone rings. Speaking of which... And we end our cut with the Nantucket Hospital ER. Effie Lancaster, in her 60s, walks and talks, phone to ear. Did you let Doug and Pete Whippy take the ambulance for a market delivery? Oh, yeah. Their truck broke down and the market's a mile away. You really think that's an appropriate use for a medical vehicle? What if we need it? I wouldn't call it an inappropriate use. And how long could it take to unload 20 crates of fish? Well, Randall Townsend's had a fender bender off Milestone Road. Laporte immediately starts loading his gear back into his bag to ready himself to take care of this as Effie continues. He's unhurt, but he wants the ambulance ride back, so I said you'd head over there to give him some attention while he waits for it. Oh, I see. So you can use the ambulance as a private limousine for one of your big shot board members, but I'm breaking some unwritten rule when I lend it out as a morning seafood delivery van. Is that how it is now? I'm on my way. He hangs up and turns back to Alistair. Come see me at the hospital when you sober up. Until then, Dr. Boy, no more pancakes for him, and he's your patient until school starts. Dr. Boy, okay? I'm, I'm on it. Lepore exits hurriedly. Alistair turns to Dr. Boy. You're not a real doctor, are you? Not technically, no. Dr. Lepore just calls me that ever since he became my foster parent. He says it's like a treatment, so I develop a sense of self-worth because I'm too valuable to end up, you know, like some drunk at a lunch counter. Seems like it's working. Yeah, we're both really pleased with the results. We're on a picturesque country road. Lepore exits his old land cruiser, approaches a slightly dented Porsche. The driver, Randall Townsend, in his 50s and rich, is sitting in the driver's seat. Oh, great, it's you. Lepore calmly takes out a pocket knife and pops the airbag. He checks Randall's pupils with a pen light. Are you speeding? What are you, a cop? Uh, didn't have the grades. What happened? Damn deer popped out of nowhere. Lepore looks behind the car, his eyes narrow. It's a deer. Oh, my God. You killed Clarence, the one deer on this island whose bloodstream I finally get a germ to attenuate in. He had a chance of helping us wipe out every tick-borne illness on Nantucket, and you kill him. Calm down, you nut job. I didn't kill him. He's still breathing. Now, where the hell is the ambulance? You know what? You're right. I'm not prioritizing. It's unethical to wait. And we cut to the hospital. Lepore's land cruiser screeches into the into the ER bay. He jumps out of his vehicle and grabs an empty stretcher. We cut to the ER. Lepore stands in front of a drawn curtain, examining a chart. He's approached by a nervous-looking Effie. So, how's our patient? I brought him in myself because I was worried there was damage I couldn't assess in the field. Thank God I did. Effie, pleased, pulls back the curtain of Lepore's patient and is shocked to find Clarence the deer in a hospital bed. What the hell is this? Clarence wakes up, breaks free, and tears down the hall. Lepore produces his trank gun, seemingly from thin air. He chases off after Clarence. The miracle of modern medicine. And we smash cut to our main title and credits. Back at the hospital later, Lepore is inspecting a fisherman's heavily stitched finger. Next time I'll be more careful chopping paid. It's feeling pretty good, though, considering uh, last Tuesday wasn't even on my hand. 
Yeah, I think I really nailed this one. Let's test this baby out. Point at me. Point at the wall over there. Now, point to the guy who should take me up on my offer to send him to night school. The fisherman points at himself. Awesome. You're all set. Thanks, Doc. Uh, what, what do I owe you? Well, um, emergency surgery, reattached tendons, nerves. Let's see. Want some lobsters? Deal. Just then, Effie enters, head full of steam. Lepore speaks to the fisherman for Effie's benefit. And uh, expect a bill for the amount of money commensurate with services rendered. I need to talk to you. Uh, you mind if I work and talk? She nods and they walk into the hall and into another patient area. It's Alistair, now sober. Oh, hello. Oh, is it your Crohn's again? I am having a gut event, yes. You guys got any more pillows? Effie blowing past this to Lepore. You need to apologize to Randall Townsend. Why? I refuse. Why, though? You thought a deer was more important than him. I did not. That deer is just a meaningless host, like your son on his show. <laughs> I knew you watched my show despite our intense rivalry. We're not rivals. I'm a medical doctor and you're a dilettante that hosts Nantucket's second most popular local access show. Those numbers are skewed. It's all uh, politics. Anyway, let's dive into this Randall Townsend and Roglio. Alistair, shut up. Tim, Randall is on the board, and he's talking about having you replaced. Like, for good. Uh, he's always threatening that. This time he means it. Just apologize. How hard is that? When I'm right? Impossible. Look, as owner of the hospital, can't you just tell him I'm the best thing that's ever happened to this island and to you personally and that you want him to get off my ass? How about you change your behavior just a little bit to make my life easier? But you like me just the way I am. Ugh, are you two flirting? We are. You don't make the hospital money, you don't follow insurance regulations, and you won't do the barest of minimums when I ask. Maybe the board should listen to Randall about replacing you. Alistair gasps. She's never said that before. You don't mean that. We do. Is there a medical reason this pillow is so flat? Well, you know what? If I'm unappreciated here, I'd actually love to retire. Give me a chance to finally do the golfing. You mean play golf? Uh-huh. Yeah. You think I like being the sole caretaker of this island? Medicine, my only pursuit? Yes. You don't think I'd love to have cocktails with, with Taylor Swift at the Wawinet? You know who Taylor Swift is? A, a sportsman of some sort invented uh, the electric rifle. Point is, I'm tired of being everything to everyone. I want to retire. <laughs> no, you don't. Sure I do. It's actually perfect timing. In addition to all the super true stuff I just mentioned, Flem's moved home and he's positively desperate to hang with the old man. Yeah, you're actually going to pretend to retire instead of saying, I'm sorry? I'm serious. And to prove it, I'll be taking the next two days off. Randall wants me gone. He can see what it would be like. Lepore leaves, trying to slam the curtain closed. Alistair and Effie are left alone. Oh, my God, Effie. What are we going to do about these pillows? In the Lepore home, Lepore and Dr. Boy sit across from one another as Dr. Boy munches on a hot dog. Hey, Dr. Tim, so if you're retired, does that mean 
I would lose my job as Dr. Boy? I don't imagine you'd be keeping your practice if I left, no. Huh? Why? Oh, because you're not a real doctor. Huh? Will you still be my foster dad? Of course. I'm going to need a healthy kidney at some point. You don't need to worry about me leaving. I was bluffing. And they'd need to find someone to replace me, and only a desperate loser would move to Nantucket these days. <clears throat> it's true. There's nothing for anyone here. Fleming. We reveal a depressed Fleming Lepore in his PJs on the couch. Fleming looking good today. You know, Morgan was asking about you. I kind of got a lot going on here. Yeah, right. Um, you know, if you wanted to spend some time together or something while you're here, you used to like fishing for crabs at the Nantucket Dumb Creek. No offense. I'm not really in a mental state to deal with you saying you're going to do something you have no intention of doing. I don't do that. If I say I'm going to do something, I do it. Didn't you just do that to Effie when you said you were going to retire, but you have no intention to? Well, joke's on you, because I took the day off. For you. What's the scam? No scam. I want to spend some time with you in your time of need. Oh my god, Dad. Yes. We go to a Nantucket road. Lepore and Fleming walk down the road, nets in hand. You know, my Tuesday-Thursday therapist says I need to expect more from people, especially my Monday-Wednesday therapist, who's... Fleming clocks Lepore, not paying attention to him. Just then, Lepore notices something and stops Fleming. He indicates a tree. Hold up. What? Do you see that bent tree branch? Tradecraft. A message from Underground Jack. We need to go to his bunker immediately. Lepore quickly changes direction into the woods. Underground Jack? Mm, fellow who lives underground. Been here a few years, ran into the woods on his wedding day, hasn't come out since. Gives me information sometimes, really plugged in. You could just say you don't want to talk. You don't have to make up. Lepore reaches deep into a large hollow in a tree and pulls out two pairs of shoes made to look like deer hooves. He hands a pair to Fleming. Here, put these on. What? Jack insists, makes us look like deer, no footprints, throws off the fuzz. Right, so aside from this jilted woman at the altar who could possibly be looking for this guy? Just then they come to a clearing and Lepore pulls open an entrance to a bunker, seemingly out of nowhere. Fleming looks skeptical, but we cut to Underground Jack's bunker. Lepore, Fleming, and Underground Jack, his 40s and paranoid, sit on the floor in a surprisingly well-appointed bunker. Jack rattles off a list answering Flem's previous question. CIA, FBI, NTSB, Boy Scouts of America, Marriott, Major League Baseball, my ex-fiance, Marriott Premier. That's a whole different group. Really nasty folks. Okay, good thing we put on these deer shoes. He's your son? Mm-hmm. His wife left him and he quit his job. Now he's here for a brief visit. I've been thinking maybe I'd move back. Oh, man. I remember when my life fell apart. Let me know if you want some advice. Jack, lightning quick, swings at a scurrying rat with a pan. One thing I'll say, if you're going to start living underground, you really want to start digging in the spring. Thanks, but I'm I'm probably going to stay above ground for the time being. Sure you will, kid. Sure you will. Behind Jack, a raccoon opens the cabinet. So, what's up, Jack? Okay. 
Can't say too much in case they're listening. Who? All of them. What I can say is, Randall got the board to bring in an assessor to see if you're fit to practice. Why would they do that? They're probably trying to get rid of you. Well, that doesn't make sense. I said I'd retire. It's quite possible they didn't believe you because you often say you're going to do things you don't end up doing. You want me to put the assessor in a frame-up? I found a foot on the beach I've been meaning to do something with. Yeah, that, that all sounds fine. Um, I have to get to the hospital. Of course you do. Maybe you two could uh, hang out, watch TV or something. The poor exits hurriedly, off Fleming, seeing that there's no TV. We cut to the lunch counter a little later. Morgan works the counter. The front entry bell rings and Fleming enters. Fleming! Oh my god, Flem, get in here, have a seat. Fleming forces a smile and waves to Morgan. Morgan! Hey! Look at you! Fleming takes a seat at the counter. Morgan beams. You've been avoiding me or what? What? No way! First day home. Oh, weird. Your dad said you've been here for two weeks. Huh. So craze. Crazy. And he said you left your med malpractice. Really? So nuts. I just, I'm just trying to figure out why he would say. Because of the divorce, probably. The man with the swollen face turns to Flem. I heard your wife was a giant bitch from your dad. Jesus Christ, she wasn't a... Does everyone here know everything about my crumbling life? A woman picking up a to-go order says... I heard you threatened to firebomb town hall. What? Kidding. I'm just kidding. I don't know you. Couldn't help myself. Sorry for interrupting your meltdown. For what it's worth, my dad is a real piece of work, too. I'd take him over Temple Lepore any day. You know, he hasn't asked once about my divorce. Hasn't had a meal with me since I've been home. Classic narcissistic personality disorder. He can only talk about himself. Hey, guess what? I built a bullet forge in the ER. Hey, I performed two surgeries simultaneously today. Oh, you, you quit your job? Gee, I wish you were more like the small child I employ as my medical assistant. He's reckless, arrogant, and selfish. Has been ever since I was a kid. Spent my whole life trying to impress that guy for nothing. Well, that sounds like a lot. <laughs> Sorry, he's just a real problem. I'm Fleming. And before she can respond with more than just... Lily. Salad to go for the busy lady. No dressing. Bit of a snooze order. Anyway, have a nice day. This episode of Dead Pilot Society is brought to you by Wild Grain. Wild Grain is the first ever Bake from Frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. I've been a subscriber to Wild Grain for at least a year now, and I love it. It's just become such a part of my our family's meals. Uh, in my last box, I got this delicious apple galette, and it was it was big enough for dessert for my family of four, and there were leftovers that I had for breakfast the next morning. It was so good. And baking these things, all of them, it's so easy. I know I just said it, but just think about it. You don't have to thaw. You don't have to defrost. You don't have to really plan ahead. You think about it like 20, 25 minutes beforehand, and you can have a delicious 
loaf of bread, you have a great dessert. That is what's so life-changing about Wild Grain. And you can now fully customize your Wild Grain box. Uh, this, I do this every time. You know, I start to know what I like. I, I see what new things, what looks good. I'm not, you know, so you're in control. You can get any combination of breads, pastas, and pastries you like. If you want a box of all bread, if you want a box of all pasta, if you want a box of all pastries, you can have it. Plus, for a limited time, you get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box, like for life. I'm still getting these from when I first subscribed. When you go to wildgrain.com slash deadpilots to start your subscription. You heard me, free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash deadpilots. That's wildgrain.com slash deadpilots. Or you can use promo code deadpilots at checkout. I'm Dan McCoy. I'm Stuart Wellington. I'm Elliot Kalin. And together we are The Flophouse, a long-running podcast on the Maximum Fun Network, where we watch a bad movie and then talk about it. And because we're so long-running, maybe you haven't given us a chance. I get it. But you don't actually have to know anything about previous episodes to enjoy us. And I promise you that if you find our voices irritating, we grow endearing over time. Perhaps you listened to one of our old episodes and decided that we were dumb and immature. Well, we've been doing this a while now. We have become smarter and more mature and generally nicer to Dan. But we are only human, so no promises. Find the Flophouse on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get podcasts. And off Lily's face, we cut to the ER a little later. Effie walks down the hallway making notes on a clipboard. What the hell are you doing? Making stuff we need for the fundraiser. New doctor jumped to the top of the list, thanks to you. You brought in an assessor? Randall did. But why do you care? You said you were retiring. I was bluffing, you fool. I'm, mm. I am utterly incapable of retiring. Now, where is this goon so I can get this assessment over with? Oh, you'll do it? I'll do the shit out of it. Oh, she's waiting for you in OR2. You've got an appendectomy. Nice and easy. Just then, Lily Chen, the woman from the diner, rounds the corner. You must be Dr. Lepore. I've heard a lot about you. I'm Lily Chen, your assessor. Uh, I've heard nothing about you, but suspect I already know everything I need to. Ah. Huh. You're fun. Hey, uh, can I ask where all the equipment from OR1 is? Mm -mm. Budget cuts. Disgusting, right? On Nantucket, we make do. You'll learn quick. In operating room two a little later, Lepore, masked and scrubbed in, prepares to make an incision on his appendectomy patient while Lily takes notes. A nurse stands off to the side. I can just follow up after you're done. I really don't need to be in here for this. Oh, of course you do, but I'm not going to explain everything I'm doing here, so I'll just have the patient do a few cartwheels after we're done so you can see how great I did. Lepore turns to a nurse. I'm going to need Jebediah for this. The nurse runs out of the room and re-enters, wheeling an animatronic dummy, the kind you'd find in Disney's Hall of Presidents, dressed as a 19th century whale master, complete with harpoon. The nurse starts disinfecting the dummy's free hand. What are you doing? Scrubbing in my assistant. He's on loan from the Nantucket Whaling Museum. Puts a large amount of gauze in the dummy's hand and positions him just so next to the patient. I modified him in case I ever had to do surgery on myself. <laughs> this is absolutely insane. What do you mean? This robot does the same thing the same way every single time. Where is your theater nurse? Are you aware of any qualified theater nurse currently on the island? No? 
Well, robots are used in tons of surgeries, and a robot's a robot, no matter how he's dressed. Sure, maybe it's okay if this was McMurdo, but this is a pretty fancy island. Hmm, you see anyone fancy around here? They all left after Labor Day. Lepore turns the dummy on, and its animatronic arm starts moving back and forth. It speaks. Did you know that hunting whales is actually good for them? Ah, different time. Off Lily, horrified, we smash cut to Effie's office. Lepore is seated before Effie, who is behind her desk. Are you trying to throw this thing? Of course not. Then why didn't you tell her that robot of yours is actually built by Boston Dynamics? Why does that matter? She has eyes and allegedly a brain. She should be able to see past what Jebediah is wearing. She shouldn't judge a book by its cover. Shame on her, really. Effie hands him the item list. Look at number 54, buried on the second page. Telepad. So what? Randall snuck it in at the last minute. He knows we can't find another doctor. He's counting on it. He's going to convince the board to close the hospital and fly people to the mainland for care. Well, that's ridiculous. That's not in the best interest of everyone who lives here. He doesn't give a shit, so please pass this assessment. Let her in just a little bit, please, so you don't look so insane. Well, I thought this assessment was about medical aptitude. Hell, it's my aptitude that got me into Harvard. I got you into Harvard 50 years ago. To get into Harvard now, you've got a glad hand. So go glad hander. Just but be normal. Uh, understood. Moments later, Lepore bursts through the door of the women's bathroom. Anyway, I have evening clinic tonight at my home. Why don't you come over and continue to assess me there? You don't need to bring anything. We see Lily's feet under a stall door. I, uh, why would I bring anything? At Lepore's house that evening, knock, knock, Lepore opens the front door to reveal Lily. Hello, my dear. Lily sees that Lepore is dressed in a suit and the table is set for a white tablecloth lobster dinner, complete with a candelabra. Dr. Boy enters, also clad in one of Lepore's suits, so it's huge on him, with his hair parted on the side. May I take your coat, my dear? Ow. Well, you guys just going with my dear, huh? Allow me to introduce Dr. Boy. I took him in as a small child. He had nothing and no one. Just the kind of guy I am, I guess. Hmm. That's sweet. Maybe problematic. Don't you have evening clinic? I wanted you to get to know me. The real me. And my, my wonderful family. Fleming enters from upstairs, still looking rough. Fleming, I thought you were staying upstairs this evening. Fleming sees Lily and tenses up. Oh, hi. Hello. Lily, this is my son Fleming, whom I'm very close with. I've never seen this woman before in my life. What? She's lying. She's a liar. It's no big deal. We met today at the diner. He was just complaining about you a little. Wow. Scheming against your own father. Real nice. I wasn't scheming. You're scheming. Whatever this is here with the suits. He looks ridiculous. I'll grow into it. You know what? You guys are, uh, I'm sure you'll be able to work it out, whatever all this is. I am going to go. Just then, underground Jack bursts in the front door, clutching his belly. He collapses. Doc, I'm dying. Okay, okay, help me get him to the exam room. 
Moments later, we're in a guest bedroom, which has been turned into a fully equipped exam room. Underground Jack lies on an exam table being presided over by Lepore and Lily. Jack, what happened? Isn't it obvious? I poisoned myself so you could cure me and show that assessor how brilliant you are. And you are? I'm the assessor. Nailed it. What did you take? A little bit of yellow and a lot of black. Maybe some balsamic? All right, top drawer, get me a line kit. It should look like... Lily holds out a fully prepared IV hat block ready to go. Thanks. As uh, Lepore quickly puts a line in Jack... I'm going to need to give you some activated... Lily holds out a bottle of activated charcoal for Lepore to take. Charcoal, charcoal. Before Jack takes a swig, he pauses, looking behind Lepore to where Lily is. Did I wait until she wakes up so she knows how great you are? Lepore turns around and sees Lily fully passed out on the floor. In the hospital ER that night, a very groggy Lily comes to in a hospital bed presided over by Lepore, who wears a tuxedo. How long was I out? Three years. What is going on? Why are you in a tuxedo? Hospital fundraiser. New helipad. Hey, are we still in your house? No, folks who can pay get treated in the hospital, by and large. And the people who can't get treated with stolen equipment from operating room one? That's insane. What's insane is the median house price here is $2 million, and if the average income of a resident is below forty k a year. Couple that with seasonal jobs, making sure tourists have a wonderful vacation, health benefits do not exist, and getting the most basic and necessary health care here is cost prohibitive for a lot of the residents. So I do it for what people can afford. Sometimes it's lobsters. Sometimes it's a dump crab. Other times it's a, well, other times it's free. Oh, that's actually, what's a dump crab? A crab you catch at the dump. Right. Makes sense. Sorry. Hey, how's the poison gentleman? Oh, he's going to be fine. Thank you for your help. Just then, a very drunk, angry Alistair, also clad in a tuxedo, is wheeled in on a gurney to Lepore. So much for auto brewery syndrome, you officious quack. I just made a complete ass of myself at the pre-fundraiser, pre-fundspender, fundspender party. Well, and, and no carbs? No bread? Nothing? Yes, yes, you bum. Just oysters and a few mussels. Look me in the eye and say you didn't have a scallop. Cannot and will not. It's Wilson's disease. You don't really know what you're talking about. That shellfish alone wouldn't. He'd need dried fruit and... Oh, my God. Your cranberry pancakes. Nantucket is known for its cranberries, my dear. What is up with you guys and my dear? Alistair, it is very possible that in addition to Crohn's, you have both autobrewery syndrome and maybe Wilson's disease. You're welcome. I'm going to test for copper in your blood. Lepore nods to a nurse who wheels Alistair off. I'm a medical marvel. It's a beat of silence with Lepore and Lily and then... Lucky guess. Oh, it totally wasn't. I'm a doctor. No, you're not. I totally am. Well, then why didn't you practice? Lily gathers her belongings and looks for something. I imagine it's because your fainting condition has rendered you virtually unemployable. So you settled. Yeah. So what? I wanted to be a doctor. It didn't work out. 
You happy? Aren't you? Isn't everybody? Husband? Kids? What? Oh, that's a no. Okay, here's the thing. I have cared for the people of this island for over 30 years. It's been my life's work, and I'm very good at it. And I love them, and they love me a lot. But if I don't find someone to take my practice, eventually the board of this hospital is going to end this place. I can hold them back for a while, but I'm going to die eventually. Your hand skin does look like tracing paper. Thanks. Uh, change your assessment and say I need help. Your help. Come work for me. You're worried you failed, aren't you? Not in the least. Damn it. Look, I can teach anyone how to be a good doctor, but I can't make them a decent person. And I think... I think you could be a good doctor. What about my slight issue? Dollars to donuts, I can help you with it. Say yes. Take the job. And I promise, once I'm dead, all this will be yours. Just then, Clarence the deer bursts into the room, knocking over an IV stand. It bursts out again. We're at the White Elephant at night, a quaint hospital gala on a beautiful Nantucket lawn overlooking the harbor. Fleming approaches Lepore. Couldn't help but overhear the chatter with that Lily woman. Lily's her name, right? With her staying on island and all? That true? I think so. Cool. Cool. Anyway, yeah. I figured it would probably give us a little more time to work on uh, our relationship, which obviously needs a lot of work. So I thought I'd probably stay here for a little bit too, you know, to work on us. Well, I can't wait to... Lepore turns to see Fleming's gone to talk to Lily. Effie approaches Lepore. Looks like it's going to fly with the board. You won. Lepore looks across the lawn at a visibly disgruntled Randall. Randall narrows his eyes. This isn't over. Look at all you did just to avoid apologizing. Uh, I'm glad you see it too. If I had apologized to Randall, we would not have a second doctor here, and my son wouldn't be sticking around. One of these days, it's going to bite you in the ass, Tim. Yeah, but not today. And we smash cut to the hospital exam room days later. Lepore is walking Lily through a surgical procedure, sewing a different finger back on the fisherman from earlier. Now, the trick here is not to sew it on backwards, no matter how tempting it might be. Lepore notices Lily looking away, out the window. Ask me those scissors before you faint. Let me take that again. Pass me those scissors before you faint. Lepore follows Lily's gaze to see Clarence the deer grazing outside the window. His eyes widen, then to a passing nurse. Nurse, fetch my exam room trank gun. Oh, I removed that. Ah, oh, fetch me my office trank rifle then. Dr. Lepore, I had all the guns removed from the hospital. What? Why? Oh, because this is a hospital. Clarence casually moseys off screen. Uh, oh, oh look, look what you've done. You should really be more careful. And we fade out. End of pilot. 
I do hope you enjoyed that. Come back next week to hear my interview with Alex and Brendan. Dead Pilot Society is produced by me and my co-producer, Ben Blacker, and our associate producer, Noah Findling. It is edited and mixed by Jordan Katz. If you like the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That really helps. But the most helpful thing is to tell a friend. That is how podcasts like ours get spread around it's word of mouth so if you know anyone uh tell a friend about it you can follow us on social media to find out about things like this live show coming up that's the best way uh we're on on twitter and instagram and all that until next time be kind to yourself and please be kind to others i'm andrew reich thank you for listening maximum fun a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows supported directly by you.